Hi and welcome back to another episode of the Heart Square podcast. In this episode, we were joined by Alan Reed, who's the Director of Client Projects here at HeartSquare. And as you will hear, he has a whole wealth of experience working with nonprofits in the digital space. So we spoke to him about um, what a 21st century nonprofit should look like. Yeah, morning, Ellie. Um, yeah, it'd be good to hear what Alan's got to say, actually. He's, uh, as you know, as you said, he spends most of his time working with clients, you know, understanding understanding their organisations, what they're trying to achieve, the challenges they face, etc. So I think you'll have a really good view on what, yeah, as you say, what a 21st century nonprofit looks like, particularly kind of from a digital perspective and, a, and an overall kind of yeah, how it structures itself. Really. So yeah, looking forward to it, it'll be good. Yeah, definitely, me too. So um, we'll just get straight started into this week's episode. Before we get kickstarted into the discussion, I wanted if Alan, you could just give a brief introduction to yourself and your role here at Heart Square. Fantastic, Ellie. Thank you. I'm uh, delighted to, to join you today. So um, I'm uh, director of client projects with uh, with with Heart Square. So what that means in terms of uh, of Heart Square is that um, I work with our clients to make sure that they get the the benefit out of the projects that we are helping them uh, with. So I have a real focus, I think, on the people side of projects, not just on the on the technology side, uh, because these days it's all about recognizing that benefits only come from take up and, and how much people change the way they work and the technology itself uh, is not itself a benefit. So that's slightly odd for me because my background is very much on the technology side. Uh, I spent uh, years being a software developer. Um, I uh, managed development teams and, uh, uh, and took a product into the into the not-for-profit space back in the in the 1990s. So yes, moving to the to the people side uh, over uh, over the last 15 years and uh, and, and with Heart Square, and and that's the focus of what I do now. Fantastic, thanks, Al. Um, yeah, so today, I mean, as Eddie said, the the title is what a 21st century nonprofit should look like, and we're talking specifically, obviously, in digital terms. So I guess having just having talked quite rightly about the uh, the fact that people actually are the most important things. We're going to start with a digital topic, but um, I guess, you know, as, as an opener, as a start of a 10, we'd go, you know, is it important for a non-profit to have a digital strategy? And if so, why is that in your opinion? I think it is, uh, even though the word digital is used, um, I think it is uh, all, all about people and that's why it, it matters. So the short answer is yes, it's, it's absolutely vital uh, for, a, for a non-profit to have a digital strategy. However, I think that it's it's badly named in, in many, uh, in many uh, cases. The word digital tends to alienate people. They think of it as uh, as just being about technology, nothing to do with me and someone else, you know, will be looking after that or they think of it as very dry or, or inaccessible. I think uh, it will be me- more meaningfully uh, renamed as something like a modern engagement strategy. Um, the fact is the world has changed uh, the way uh, that we want uh, to have uh, external organizations engaged with us has uh, has changed. Uh, and if nonprofits don't keep up with that, don't recognize that we're all modern digital consumers, then they run the risk uh, of becoming irrelevant, of, of losing impact. So really read uh, digital strategy as um, a, an engagement strategy that embraces digital, that recognizes there's a there's a need to change the way that, uh, that you engage in order to remain relevant, 
to be interesting, to be targeted, uh, to allow people to respond to you uh, in the uh, in the easiest way uh, and in the way that suits them. Um, and then it becomes easy to see why uh, why it's so vitally uh, important. I think nonprofits have always recognised uh, that they essentially live or die. Uh, by their ability to prove that they understand uh, their potential members and and and, and potential uh, supporters, um, and all of that is uh, is enabled these days uh, by uh, by being able to embrace uh, how you engage with people, um, how you use data to be personalised and relevant, um, and how you can compete with other organisations uh, for the same attention uh, and money and support uh, that that everyone is seeking from the same audience. Oh, there's a hell of a lot there. Um, thank you. Thank you. You're absolutely right. Like you say, it is about making sure, you know, as a non-profit, being able to communicate with a with a modern audience in a format that the audience wants to engage, uh, where they are, when they are, you know, to their convenience um, in that respect. So I absolutely get that. I think the other, you've covered kind of everything that, that is wrapped up within that engagement piece. I think that was, that was really, really valuable, that piece. Can I just ask then about the, the need for the strategy side? Because there is a, you know, within that um, description you gave, there is a tendency, I know, in some, uh, within some organisations, within some non-profits as, uh, specifically, to not just chuck money at the problem, but to start playing with lots and lots, or getting involved and in, in using lots and lots of different tools. You know, so whether it's following trends or just making sure that, you know, thinking that they have to be on this platform and the other platform and have a tool for this and a tool for that. And is the strategy piece the, 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 or is the importance of the strategy piece about pulling those thoughts together and making sure it's a, a planned, organised and concerted investment rather than dipping your toe in the water with every latest fad? Is, is that the risk that people run if they don't have a strategy? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so to put it in uh, everyday terms, that the strategy tends to be the difference uh, between failing um, and, and uh, having a very poor uh, set of uh, benefits out of your money. Um, or, or succeeding uh, with your with your digital engagement, um, exactly as you say, um, because the the starting point for a lot of organisations has been that um, they recognise uh, we we are we're in a terrible position here in relation to our ability to engage and and, and be relevant and compete. Our data is spread across multiple different places. Um, our website is not talking to anything else. Um, all of our comms, we can we can change dear Sarah to dear Bob, uh, but otherwise everything is everyone's getting the same uh, spray and pray uh, email being sent to them, and as a result, our take up is very poor. People are not responding to our emails. We've been filtered out years ago. Uh, as as far as many people are concerned, we might as well uh, not exist. And and there's been a a tendency then uh, to rush out and go shopping. Um, uh, for compensating uh, technologies. So for a time, marketing automation was a was was a big uh, buzzword and and still is in some places. Some people have rushed out and invested um, in compensating um, data warehouse projects, trying to pull everything together. Others have uh, have gone off and invested in digital comms tools. Um, but the, the the problem that those uh, initiatives have those kind of tactical responses uh, to the problem have is that 
uh, they miss out on a on a fundamental understanding, which is that this is all driven uh, and will succeed or fail based on something fairly dull, I'm afraid, which is your data. Um, so good comms are based on good data. Uh, sophisticated website engagement is based on good data. So the strategic element comes in where you're looking at, OK, how are we going to make sure that every whisper of engagement we have and everything we do is always adding to our knowledge about what the person is interested in and then allowing us to always respond to that uh, with, with ever better and more nuanced communications? I think that's a, uh, a really good point. And um, I think I'd say highlighting the fact that you've got disparate data a history of disparate data and disparate systems and that's actually the piece that needs pulling together is really important and that is the piece that sits alongside the people side actually isn't it because like you say we talked about personalization we've been talking about the need to personalize for years you know um and, and like you say the dear sarah dear rob type email for a while was seen as being that um and mm, certainly i know yeah. you know well we both know you know from conversations with clients about how you know moving that forward so that now a website, you know, when you're you're recognised on a website and you're presented with more content that's relevant to you, I think that relevancy is a key part, isn't it? And again, comes back to engaging, you know, personalising it, not actually making it about tech and about data. I say the the data is the boring part, the tech's the exciting part, but the people are the important part. It's that kind of combination of factors, isn't it? I think. It, exactly, and that's where it comes back to this word uh, strategy, as opposed to tactical uh, solutions where every team rushes out and gets something that's going to solve a, a bit of, of the problem for that team. So uh, the strategic element tends to be, OK, let's look at how we should ideally uh, be able to do two things. Uh, one is how we would ideally be able to engage uh, with our uh, potential and actual uh, members and, and supporters. Um, and within that, there's a series of sub questions you know that we we would like of course uh, to have everything that we know about them available to the person who's creating the communications uh, as you've just said rob we'd like that a person who comes to our website and has uh, all sorts of things with us over a period of years would have a different landing page than a person who's just come into our world 10 minutes ago and and by that we would then be able to demonstrate that we do understand them uh, that we do uh, add value to their interests and concerns uh, and and so on uh, so working out how you would ideally like to engage uh, allows you to build your strategy uh, towards that in terms of data capture, making that data uh, available to your different channels uh, that you're engaging through. The second thing that um, most organizations are trying to achieve through their strategy is, uh, again, on the people side, how are we going to empower our staff? This is an often neglected part of, uh, of, of what we might call an engagement strategy or digital strategy. Uh, the, the staff cost is the most expensive thing for, for pretty much all nonprofits, but staff are hugely disempowered because in order to, if you have a good idea and say, I want to engage with people with this appeal or, or, or this message, it needs a project to do it. You need all sorts of people to go and get the stuff um, and you're just disempowered and you just give up. So the other part of it is how do we empower our staff to be able to get their hands on their own data and turn it into something that's meaningful and useful and beneficial? And if those two elements are factored into your, your strategy, you'll then become the most enabled version of yourselves as part of doing that. You'll, you'll get the best use out of your money.
Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think the interesting point I found from what you've been saying as well is that contested, if you like, term of digital strategy, because we've spoken on a previous podcast before about the term digital transformation and how Mm. that sometimes has problematic connotations with it as well, because people see it as, you know, only digital, like you said there. So perhaps engagement strategy is a really good potential you know replacement for that um and just on thinking about strategy and things like that and sort of in your experience of our clients past present future um what have they been seeking to achieve have they been seeking to sort of achieve that put together that strategy or perhaps it's more a problem solve a digital issue kind of thing does that make sense well sometimes it's part of a conversation that we have with them so sometimes the starting point uh, might be uh, we've got this tactical problem can you advise on uh, on on solving it um, and then uh, as part of the conversation with them uh, we will often seek to uh, widen uh, the conversation not just because we're trying to to turn it into a, a bigger project for all sorts of cynical reasons that people have about anyone giving advice but the reality is there's no such thing as a standalone website there's no such thing anymore as a standalone CRM or a standalone communications package or a standalone marketing automation solution unless you're looking at these things in the round um, you're, you're not going to get the benefit um, out, out of them. You're, you're just going to continue kind of dashing yourself against the rocks. So what organizations are trying to achieve? I think that's a really great question, uh, Ellie. Uh, a lot of it is what people, organizations uh, in the nonprofit sector have always tried to achieve, but in, in a more uh, modern way. So expectations uh, about communications uh, are now higher than ever. So everything should be targeted, relevant, personalized that's the kind of minimum standard now that we uh, that, that we all expect and if you're not achieving it do not send the communication uh, you're 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 better off not sending than than uh, than just uh, blasting out uh, generic uh, communications the, our clients want to show that they understand what's relevant and interesting um, to their uh, to their audiences you know uh, to send a smaller uh, set of communications um, but have a higher take up is is, is actually uh, the, the the way to go uh, to allow people to engage in a meaningful way through other channels uh, that's relevant um, and uh, easy for them is uh, is is the way to go um, the other thing that we've already talked about, of course, is that staff should be enabled and empowered uh, by by this strategy. One of the, the the saddest things I heard at a client site um, a while ago was a staff member saying, "There's just no point in having a good idea around here." You know, just imagine how crushing that would be if you're part of the leadership team for that organization. There's no point in having a good idea because everything there's a backlog for everything. Everything requires too many people to get hold of the of the data. If I want to send a targeted thing out and have people respond on the website, it involves multiple suppliers and multiple projects, and and it's just I'll just give up. Um, so essentially, uh, the digital strategy, the engagement strategy, has to be about empowering uh, your your colleagues so that you're getting the value out of their time, um, and that's what will best uh, drive your more sophisticated engagement and your more sophisticated communications. It's not just the tools; it's empowering the people that you work with as well. Yeah, do you find that's a more difficult conversation to have sometimes, Al? Because, um, you know, we know, I mean, we work in the sector because of the people, really, in many ways ourselves, you know, don't we? And one of the things I certainly love about it is that most of the people that we engage with who work with nonprofits are committed to their cause, you know, whether it doesn't matter if it's a professional membership body, a campaign organisation, fundraiser, trade union, 
the employees tend to have a relationship with the cause and their mission helps to drive them. Mm. So it's very much a people business. Our, our work is with people. The sector is about people. Um, but there is an aspect to what you've just described, which I agree with. You know, it's about that staff empowerment and staff engagement, you know, and and you can see the pleasure that those comms people that the you know the, the fundraisers, the event managers get from being or the yeah, the the satisfaction they get from being able to communicate more directly mm-hmm. and access their own data that you talked about. But there is a risk here, isn't there, to a kind of a traditional group of people, if you like, within the larger nonprofits, you know, the, the, which is the kind of data and IT teams who are often our first point of contact, but they are used to there is that little piece of kind of data is power and they're used to being part of that process. You know, the the long winded version that you described earlier where, you know, I want to send out a targeted campaign to a particular group of people and, and I'm up in fundraising and I have to kind of write out lengthy criteria for this for the people that I'd like to connect to, pass it across. And then we have specialists who mine the data and collate that and come back to me and say, OK, you can send the message now and, you know, in, in the worst in the worst examples of that, you know, I've now lost the will to live or moved on to a new challenge, or actually that moment for the cause has passed. So it is fantastic to empower me now to be able to do that myself, but there is a, a risk of, of, of disenfranchising some people who used to have a significant role, isn't there? What I I found a very positive thing around that. So yes, that that has been a, a traditional um, challenge, and and it's involving. You know, you can't always avoid the politics when it comes to projects. And in fact, if you if you ignore it, uh, you'll you'll then bump up against it. What I found very positively um, in uh, in in recent years is that those teams are very on board with the idea of of empowering um, their colleagues around the organisation. Um, and by the way, they don't tend to feel threatened in terms of their job security or or, or, or roles. Uh, they don't actually want to help someone produce something that's very everyday and 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 so on. They they tend to there there is still a role, particularly with larger data sets, uh, organisations you know with six figure plus uh, supporter bases, uh, where um, there's the more sophisticated analysis, the more sophisticated modelling and 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 business intelligence and so on. Uh, that's what they're interested in doing, and there's that that continues to be uh, a role. Uh, uh, for business people, fundraising people, or, or membership people, being able to get their hands on their own segments and merge them and get their own insights, um, I've seen really positively that uh, stakeholders within the organisation uh, are, are all about supporting that and enabling that because they tend to care about the cause uh, as as well. Nobody wants to be that person who's who's not helping support people. Uh, that's part of your your mission. Another thing that we've seen um, recently is that. Things like uh, digital engagement projects, website projects, CRM projects, they're the kind of glamorous projects that get all of the money. Um, when it comes to, and of course, the, uh, there's a re- automatic recognition that that's where your income is going to come from, you know, from those external sources. So it's easier to justify the spend. Uh, what we've seen uh, and accelerated by COVID is that people are receptive now when we're making the point that actually uh, nonprofits need to invest a little bit more in themselves. Uh, we've we've seen a really positive uh, uptake there where people are recognizing they need to invest in empowering their staff uh, in how they collaborate and how they work together, how they share ideas and content um, and uh, get projects off the ground, not all of them technology based, um, and also then how they get ha- their access to their own data and are able to translate that into 
initiatives uh, to, to support the, uh, the mission of the organisation. There's been really positive uh, changes there I've seen, uh, and I know you have as well, uh, over the last couple of years, and particularly driven by COVID. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we were seeing it before, weren't we, where organisations were starting to think more about collaboration, information management, document management, and, and yeah, the, the enforced kind of uh, distribution of staff that came about last year has actually helped to drive some of that, I think. So, like say the remote working tools, the collaboration tools, again, an area where we've seen more investment in the last sort of 18 months or so, but it is part of that staff empowerment. And actually underneath that is about making data kind of centrally maintained, but but more more accessible to the right people at the right time sort of thing. But actually having the more um, centralized data systems has been part of that, I think, because you don't get so much of the, you don't get that ability anymore to wander around the office and see who's got <coughs> the latest version of X now. You know, you have to yes. be more independent. So yeah, some real positives in that respect, I think. No, absolutely. Um, and what we saw is that um, I think most of us will recognize the picture that most nonprofits were actually up and running pretty successfully um, in response to the to the lockdown, uh, surprisingly so in many cases, at the level where people were at home with a laptop and an internet connection and could access basic desktop systems. But what they then found was that the ability to collaborate, you know, this ability, as you say, you can't wander around and ask people. Uh, everyone was just copying everyone on every email about everything. Um, and and uh, that, that ceases to work, causes massive stress, et cetera, uh, and, and very poor use of, uh, of, of people's time. So we're seeing some real benefits there. There are still some organizations who are still talking about moving to the cloud projects and are still focused on those. There's obviously a backlog of that. Uh, and uh, of course, a lot of that is uh, uh, has been accelerated again by uh, by COVID and the need to uh, uh, have everyone work everywhere, uh, just you know, effectively um, as though they were in the office. Yeah, I think it's been really encouraging, actually, hasn't it? Because you know, there was a natural not scepticism, but a concern. You know, nonprofits, particularly, I mean, everybody, but nonprofits particularly are concerned about data security. You know, and the controls around, you know having your data so there was not there was a reluctance to embrace the cloud i think uh, sort of in the mm. sort of 2017 18 where maybe other sectors were um keener to get involved in that and, they, and maybe they were looking at just from you know reducing the cost of ownership of, of tin and stuff like that but certainly from what i've seen and i think you, you've seen the same you know that um the the cloud is more acceptable now you know software as a service is more acceptable now or more accepted now um yes. And I think it's helped to prove actually some messages we've been getting out earlier, you know, for, for organizations, doesn't matter which name you go with, but the organizations that are providing cloud-based systems, their business is to make sure that they're as secure as possible. And you can't possibly, as a, as a standalone organization, you know, for anyone from HeartSquare to any of our clients, we can't possibly invest as much in security as, you know, the, the big, the Amazons, the Microsoft, but just a data center host or anybody like that. So yes, I think that message exactly. has come across and it's been mm. really it's been fantastic, actually, that during this 18 months of significant um, uptake of cloud services, we haven't seen massive data breaches and, you know, big security failings. Uh, or, and even, you know, touch wood, you know, we haven't seen an increase in, you know, in hacking attacks and, and ransomware attacks and things like that. You know, they're, they're there. They've always been there. But I think it's been encouraging for, for me personally, seeing that the sector hasn't then suffered. You know, we haven't seen some of those risks come to pass you know no I, th I think that's right I think it's it's compressed 
um, five years of innovation into probably around 18 months in terms of uh, how organizations change. But and it's worked well in uh, in, in the majority uh, in the majority of cases. I think what we are seeing is uh, that there are some changes coming through in um, in what people are expecting out of how people are, uh, are thinking about uh, change and how they're executing uh, change as well. One of the things that, you know, it's a drum that we at ArtSquare have been banging for a, for a long time. Um, we're seeing uh, suppliers and the management teams of nonprofits recognize that projects have to be delivered in a different way now. Um, so historically, uh, there's been a um, uh, there's, there's been a tendency that projects uh, would, would kind of ignore the users, the people who are going to to have to change they work the way they work uh, with with this uh, with this new tool or this new software. So you would ask the users what their requirements were. Um, you would then go shopping for uh, for technology partners and then completely ignore the users for about a year. Um, give them a half a day training before go live, um, and then go to da. You now you now have to change the entire way uh, you, uh, you you work. And and no surprises, crash bang wallop. You know, lots of complaints, lots of negativity, um, very few uh, very few benefits. And that would apply to website projects as well, where uh, the whole the only way of uh, deriving a benefit from let's say a website project is that people are able to do things they weren't able to do before or able to do it more effectively than they were before. You know, the technology itself is not a benefit that should be on a T-shirt for HeartSquare. And um, people have, uh, have recognized that unless I run my projects in a very people-focused way uh, to avoid that scenario where you just, you know, include them at the end and then act all surprised when they, you know, they don't know what to do, um, then uh, so you run your you must run your digital uh, change projects and your change management projects in this people focused way where you're including people all of the way through talking about business processes all of the way through talking uh, you know allowing them to ask questions and respond to those questions all of the way through so that uh, essentially they're on board long before the technology change actually change has has to change the way they work uh, and you know the the, the results are uh, are immeasurably better when you do that. We're, I think we're getting more sophisticated in recognizing that within with clients, suppliers, and of course uh, project professionals. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we're getting a lot better at recognizing it. Um, and actually, we've also been <coughs> actually we've been empowered more to be able to deliver that, haven't we? Because because of the need or the because of the working remotely and the tools that we've then started using, like you know the Teams and Zoom and Google Meet and, and the other brands that we know, um, what it's also done is mean that when we talk about you know your <laughs> half a day of training, I mean that's that was quite generous in some cases I think five years ago, but um, but you know now what we do is a you can get more people to come to the training room because you because well on the one hand you don't all have to have a PC, on the other hand you've all got a PC because that's your training room. Um, but also what it means is that we do things now, don't we, when we're preparing clients for new systems uh, adoption, that like recording the training systems and then providing videos mm. that they can access on demand. You know, I mean, there's an onus on clients when they're being trained to be, you know, staff to be writing you know, the basic outline processes and, and procedures, you know, to, to support their adoption of the system. Again, that's more easily done now because you can have a recording of the um, of the training session that you can play back and use to refer to and things like that. So that kind of yes. it's a really nice kind of combination of people and tech, actually, isn't it? Which is helping that to be a better process. Yes, it's, it's genuinely changed the way uh, projects are rolled out and, and how engagement with uh, with with users and and potentially you know users of your digital engagement uh, uh, is is delivered. Uh, we've seen clients 
you know, create um, uh, create little, sorry, uh, tractor rolling past. Uh, we've seen clients <laughs> uh, create little videos uh, to, for, for training snippets, you know, um, and not even full sessions. Now, we all know that any 14-year-old knows how to create a video of, uh, of a piece of software with a voiceover and put it on YouTube. It's free to do it. It's just that little bit of creativity of how do I bring people along in a way uh, that is going to be, you know, attention grabbing and, and that they'll actually do it in the middle of their busy, busy day. And that includes external stakeholders as well. We, we see projects running now where people are putting teasers out and trailers um, of their new digital channels and, and, and their website to their supporters uh, so that there is an opportunity for feedback before you're committed. Uh, and an opportunity uh, to, to create uh, that, that sense of expectation um, and refine your project as well. So th there, are, there are newer ways of working that are proving to be much more beneficial. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I've seen some of that stuff, like you say, about <clears throat> people putting teasers out. I mean, it's not quite Adele on Twitter, but it's that kind of approach at least, isn't it? Have you yes, seen anything, and it's very uh, effective, yes. Yeah. Have you seen anything, uh, any kind of non-profits movement, like, whether it's from actually the our clients themselves or from the tech partners but any kind of introduction of gamification in any of that sort of you know project implementation project delivery it's not something i've seen hence asking the question or, or other kind of initiatives and innovations that you've seen coming through uh, recently it, it's uh, gamification and scenario based um training is something that's talked about uh uh more than it's executed yeah um and uh, part of the problem there is that it's very expensive to do. Uh, it, it's very expensive to create uh, specific scenarios and, and, and specific um, assessment of, of learning um, models that are relevant to different stakeholders according to their business processes. Um, so there's, I think there's an element of uh, nonprofits having to be a bit wary about it um, being, you know, vaporware and part of a, a you know, a sales waffle that's discussed. And I would, I would encourage people to be very specific about what do you mean by that? Uh, what kind of budget is attached uh, to, to doing that? Can I go and talk to someone that you've done that with so that I can hear about how their yeah. gamification uh, and a scenario based learning worked there's, there's the conversation tends to finish about that point actually <laughs> so it's something that uh, suppliers are, are, are still um you know uh, developing their ideas around i think there's a there's a lot of uh, opportunity in the future to to do that because it comes back to that that big uh, that big challenge once you recognize that benefits from your investment can only come from people changing the way they work or changing the way they engage with you uh, then it makes sense to Put your money there, um, whereas historically the money has all gone on data migration and integration and configuration. Um, uh, investing, you have to do those things, but investing in getting the the, the, the people uh, on board and, and uh, helping them change the way they engage with you and how they work um, is the next thing uh, with uh, with projects that it's changing already. In terms of what tech suppliers are doing um, differently. Um, I think uh, one of the things that uh, is beneficial and is happening is that um, tech suppliers to the sector uh, are actually getting more knowledgeable about what the sector needs. So, for instance, as a nonprofit, uh, particularly a fundraising organization, um, you will 
out of the box almost certainly need integration with gift aid and hmrc uh, virgin money everyday hero uh, etc and and there are new payment service uh, providers coming in and some going out of uh, out of the sector as we know uh, that is happening this year so there's this huge range of integrations that can cause your project to succeed or fail and used to be this massive distraction those things are far more predictable now um, and and far more out of the box uh, than they ever were uh, there's a recognition that uh, individuals uh, who are non-technical need access to data and need to be able to uh, uh, get hold of data and use it to drive their jobs. That's becoming easier than it, it ever was. And it means that projects now can focus on business benefits rather than just getting the tech to work, uh, which is, has been the case um, and, until uh, until recently. Yeah, I think it's another, again, it's another one of the, <coughs> the really um, positive things about working in the sector, isn't it? That we do get those tech partners that we work with who are committed to the sector, who've, who understand it and who are genuinely seeking to improve um, nonprofits' abilities to succeed, at, you know, with their mission, with their cause. They do, again, you know, buy into it. It's not just a commercial um, opportunity for them all the time. You know, and, and organisations, those tech partners who do, you know, literally prioritise at least the, the sector, then invest in that R&D, don't they? And they bring new tools to market. You Actually, you talk quite rightly about integration because that's been one of the big things, hasn't it? This this morass of, of different systems that wouldn't talk to each other, um, being able to streamline those systems, build new features. Sorry, so the tech partners have the skills and experience to build those some of those features into their platforms, like you say, gift aid integration and HMRC integration, that kind of stuff. But also, you know, taking standard crm systems you know we'll try to avoid brands but even if you know pick with start with dynamics and salesforce as platforms you know that out of the box if, or out of the cloud do nothing that are uh, very little that a non-profit would want to do um but now we have a, quite a wide range actually and a growing number of tech partners with the skills and the willingness to develop their solutions to quick start non-profits and to help them benefit from what they've learned from previous clients that kind of idea so, Absolutely. And, and there's a real recognition. I think, you know, um, there's a real recognition there that the most profitable thing you can do as a as, as a solution provider um, is deliver successful projects. So um, it, it's worth putting in uh, to learn uh, from this or that uh, project that might have struggled. It's worth put productizing um, some of those uh, must have elements to a greater degree than ever before. Uh, and uh, investing in, in making that a reality because the not-for-profit sector is particularly good at talking to itself and, and sharing information about uh, about what works and, and what doesn't work. We're, we're seeing, I think, um, an increase uh, also in recognising the, the importance and value of, of uh, personalisation, and that goes back to the, you know, how do we engage with external stakeholders? How is that changing? Um, part of it's been driven by, by things like... Um, in, in response to COVID, the phone is pretty much um, not a channel anymore that, that anyone can use uh, to the extent that people did um, in, in the past. So the phone might have been used more with membership organisations, for instance, um, uh, working to make sure that people renew and, and, and so on. Um, and, and relatively few charities will do uh, uh, phone approaches. But um, to the extent that anyone uses it, it's no good as a channel um, anymore you know uh, we've all been uh, resistant to inbound uh, contacts so people have had to work on new engagement channels and make sure that they are um, personalized relevant accessible uh, there was a lot of talk for a lot of years about app 
apps, for instance, for, for non-profits. Um, again, it's something that's more talked about than executed. Part of the problem is that it's uh, it's a solution looking for a problem to, to solve in many ways. Part of the problem as well is that we're all uh, very uh, cautious about the real estate on our already crowded phones. You know, we need a really good reason to have a, an app on there. And, and just because this or that cause you're vaguely interested in might send you an email now and again is not a reason to, to, to download an app. But actually, we've seen some really great innovations, particularly in the mem- well, actually in the membership and charity space. So membership organizations are seeking to make their relationships more sticky um, by uh, by having apps that um, allow you to book on events and get updates and change your details and uh, and renew and, and, and so on. Um, Charities are doing some very interesting stuff. Um, so, you know, a lot of people will have a relationship with a charity, a retail charity, for instance, which involves taking a bag of your stuff and leaving it at the shop um, and doing that once or twice a year for 20 years with no relationship building apart from you're happy to get rid of your stuff in a good way and, and they're, they're happy to turn it into into cash. Um, there's been some really interesting examples of, of uh, charities who have said, ah, um, as well as getting your gift aid information, we've got this app which will allow you to see what we're doing with your money that you've just given us. Oh, I've given you money, have I? Oh, yes, I have. You're doing a really good thing. You can feel like you're a good person. So um, then and then try and grow that snippet of interaction into more of a relationship um, so that you can see you know, that your money has raised uh, your donations in terms of uh, your stuff has raised this amount of money plus gift aid. You can see what other uh, others in your area are also doing. The last thing in, your world, in the world you want to do is talk to those other people, but it's nice to see what they're doing uh, as well as you. Um, uh, some organizations like, for instance, Crisis will turn that into, hey, would you like to um, take a, a photograph with your, you and your colleagues wearing silly jumpers at Christmas and then put it on, you know, on your website? And, you know, the app is a great way of starting uh, that conversation as well. So um, there are some really interesting things happening for, the, for organizations that don't feel like going the whole app route. The, the line between your website and the app is blurring um, all of the time. So websites are becoming more app like. Um, so, you know, easier to engage, more more knowing of who's uh, who's using it, more functional. Um, and, and so there are some really interesting things coming out uh, that way as well. So, yes, it's going to be exciting over the next couple of years. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear loads of the new innovations that are happening in the sector, actually, just both for, you know, charities and membership organisations. So, as you say, really exciting for the next few years. And I think that's a really great topic to close off um, on today's podcast on. So, um, yeah, just thank you, Alan, for joining us today. It gave us lots of really great insights and, and I think the audience will enjoy that too. So really appreciate you coming on today. So thank you. My pleasure. Really nice to talk to you. Uh, thanks for your time. Well, we hope you enjoyed uh, our episode this week with Alan. Um, There was so much packed into that half an hour and it was really great to hear his thoughts and perspective um, on the key areas nonprofits should really focus on and as well as the developments happening in the sector. What did you think of the episode, Rob? Yeah, I thought it lived up to its billing, didn't it, Alan? Yeah. (laughs) uh, Full of insights and great commentary. Um, I love the stuff about, you know, He's very good at kind of consolidating all your thoughts into nice, you know, simple terms that, that really resonate. Like, so the stuff about, um, I think he suggested a half square t-shirt or whatever, you know, yes. the, the <laughs> itself is not a benefit. Um, but he's absolutely right. You know, he talks a lot. It is about digital strategy, but it's all about people, um, mm-hmm. about empowering people, about enabling people. And I liked the piece 
those drawing the distinction between we think a lot about what it means for external you know for your donors your members your stakeholders um, but actually it's also really significantly about empowering staff giving them the tools and the knowledge and the data and access to to be able to be at their best which is fantastic so yeah no, i really enjoyed that yeah definitely i think there's uh, packed in a lot of really good insights in that one um so if you did enjoy the episode like us this week be sure to leave us a review and even better still subscribe so you can be notified of our latest episodes don't forget you can follow us on linkedin and twitter by searching at heart square where you will find loads more content on the themes of leadership digital culture and capability we look forward to seeing you on the next episode Bye.